Happy New Year. Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. And we're going to do some of that, but we're going to do some other stuff too. I want you to stick all the way through all three segments. Well, I always do. But we have a special treat because our commercials are going to introduce you to the magical wonder of kerosene lighting. And we are coming to you today from Kevin's gracious home on location. And these radios that you see behind me, you know how I love the kerosene lamps and I'm always going on about them? Kevin's thing is old tube radios. And these things are gorgeous. He replaces the vacuum tubes, he replaces the innards, he refurbishes them, he does the outside. They make these beautiful little hums. So um, enjoy something a little different. So what are we going to talk about today? It is our 100th episode. Thank you, especially to those of you who have been listeners and viewers this entire time. I see your names. I know who you are. I love your loyalty. And welcome to people who are watching us for the first time or who just joined recently. And many of you probably did because you may have seen a piece that I wrote that was pub- published on Colin Wright's Substack. Colin Wright is an evolutionary biologist who was uh, basically canceled from academia for, for believing in the fact of binary sex, males and females. And he has a fantastic blog on Substack now. Well, it's more than a blog. It's really a writer's collective. It's called Reality's Last Stand. You should definitely subscribe to it. Thank you to Colin, who published my essay this past week on how I have been canceled from my job. I had to resign from my job because I am a transphobic, racist, misogynist, and I worked in a woke industry. So today is, as a matter of fact, the first day of my freedom. This is the first day I don't have a job, um, which is also a great, great time for you to join and support us by going to disaffectedpod.substack.com or subscribestar.com. Now let's do a little bit of current news. So this week we're going to talk about how being a personality disordered wreck is actually a disability and you should feel sorry for them. We're going to talk about California Democrat Katie Porter, who Well, she says she didn't fire her, but she kind of fired her, fired a staffer who, quote, gave Katie COVID and left Katie's children with no one to care for them, according to Katie. This is an amazing set of um, messages that this poor staffer uh, released. You're going to love it. And we're also going to do story time. I do story time a lot on the show, but I'm going to tell you some of the funny stories from my past rather than the tragic ones. Well, there may be some tragic elements, but there's going to be more fun. So let's just jump right to it. Ah, ah, though. First things first. I want to revisit, uh, especially for new viewers, but it's a good reminder for all of you. I want to revisit the concept of don't diagnose. That was the title of episode two from January of 2020. It was, wait, 2020, right, Kevin? Yeah, that's when we started. Was it 2020 or 2021? No, it was 2021, excuse me. Um, Don't diagnose is a claim that is made by people all over social media and in public when anyone notices the mentally aberrant behavior of someone else and says, you know what? It looks like that person has condition X. They say, don't diagnose, you're not a doctor. You're not a psychiatrist. Don't diagnose, you're stigmatizing. God, I'm already into the voice so early. Um, and I still have frog voice. I'm not sick anymore. I just sound sick. 
I get don't diagnose thrown at me a lot because I talk about cluster B personality disorders and I am, of course, not a licensed therapist. I have not gone to school to be a therapist. I do not wish to go to school to be a therapist. I do not wish to have a license and I do not recognize that I need a license or that I need permission to notice cluster B personality disorder behavior in other people. I don't. You know what? It's not just that I don't believe I don't need permission. I actually don't need permission. I don't need it from the medical establishment. I don't need it from a state licensing board. I don't need it from people on Facebook. You don't either. You're allowed to notice things about other humans and their psychologies. Where does this come from? Where does this idea that diagnosing is doing harm to people? Well, it comes from how we have reconceived of what we call mental illness, first of all. Mental illness is seen as something sympathetic. It's a disability. So this is a person who is in a victim role, right? So we're not supposed to make them into a victim. Well, People will also say, and this is a big trick of those with apparent borderline personality disorder, you're stigmatizing me. That label follows people around and it, and it makes people treat them badly. Look, this is what diagnosis is. Diagnosis is when a credentialed professional, a doctor, a psychiatrist, somebody similar, makes a professional assessment in a one-on-one -on -one patient environment and enters a diagnosis into that person's medical and or psychiatric chart. This matters. Why? Because that diagnosis will inform the course of treatment that that patient experiences. Now, the borderlines all claim, 100% of them who talk about this claim, that it's, you know, you should never, 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 because when people see borderline personality disorder, they want to work with us because it stigmatizes us. No. The reason they don't want to work with you when they see the diagnosis borderline personality disorder is because of what borderline personality disorder actually is. It's not stigma that makes them not want to work with these people. It is the horrendous, duplicitous, and often malicious behavior of people with borderline personality disorder. Of course, not every single person with BPD, but yes, the majority. Mm -hmm. So borderlines and other cluster Bs stigmatize themselves with their behavior. Our noticing is not a stigmatization, okay? So what I'm doing, even if I say, even if I directly say, Jane Doe right there has borderline and narcissistic personality disorders, and I know it with 100% confidence, which I don't say. I get close, but I don't say that. Even if I said that, I did not just diagnose her. Why? Because I'm not a doctor, I have no medical legal authority to affect the course of her treatment. I have not entered anything into her medical chart. I've had a conversation in public. That's the end of that. No more justification. Think about that the next time somebody tells you not to notice things and don't diagnose and you're not a professional. Okay? I suggest you ignore them. So... Let me not diagnose some not cluster B behavior from <laughs> Representative Katie Porter in California, Democrat. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is a series of um, text messages between Katie Porter and a staffer named Sasha all about COVID. Uh, and the first one you see, I saw this from a Twitter account that calls itself Dear White Staffers. <laughs> Vibe check. Representative Katie Porter fires staffer after both test positive for COVID. 
full text from the congresswoman firing the staffer via text shared with permission from staffer. I really do have frog voice today. No, I'm I'm not an FTM. <laughs> I just play one undisaffected. <laughs> So this staffer, you're going to notice this. This is a text exchange between Katie Porter and her staff member. Um, there's a very big difference between how the staff member presented herself as a supplicant in these texts and the fact that I think she thought better of this and realized she was being abused, which is why she was willing to share them publicly. So let's go through them. Um, Katie Porter texts her staffer. Why did you not follow office protocol on testing? Very disappointing. Sasha, the staffer, replies, I'm terribly sorry. You're right. I should have done better. Just because I felt okay in the moment doesn't mean that I was. I'm sorry, Mommy. Yes, Mommy. I'm sorry, Mommy. So, Katie Porter responds, Sasha, I cannot allow you back in the office given your failure to follow office policies. Cody will be in touch about having your personal effects shipped or delivered to your home and will lay out your remote work schedule and responsibilities for your last few weeks. I cannot allow you into the office. So Sasha responds. This is where I'm reaching for a barf bucket. I understand. Thank you for the last two years and all that I have learned. I hate to have disappointed you in this manner, as I know it isn't an excuse. I had found out my friend from the Navy had been murdered, and my head was not in the best place. Not an excuse, but the reasoning for the lack of forethought. I appreciate everything this office has done for me. Grovel on your knees, Sasha. Kiss her Jimmy Choo stilettos. Lick them. Lick them. Maybe Mommy won't hurt you anymore. Except Mommy will. Katie Porter responds, <clears throat> well, you gave me COVID. In 25 months, it took you not following rules to get me sick. My children have nobody to care for them. Let's look at that text again from Katie Porter to Sasha. I'm not done with this. After Sasha, this poor young woman, and I mean, she looks like a poor young woman to me, found out that her friend had been murdered, obviously, that screws with your mind. And all of these COVID office protocols, none of this has anything to do with health. It has nothing to do with Katie Porter's health. It has nothing to do with keeping anybody else safe. None of it. Nothing at all. It has to do with control. People like Katie Porter love to control others. If it weren't COVID, it would be the flu. If it weren't the flu, it would be something else. If it weren't its sickness, it would be something else. This behavior is not about COVID. This behavior is about narcissism and authoritarianism. So after Sasha tells her that her friend has been murdered, what does her boss say? She doesn't even acknowledge it. She says, well, you gave me COVID. In 25 months, it took you not following rules to get me sick. I'm a victim. You persecuted me. My children have nobody to care for them. My children are victims. Sasha, you hurt my children. You took their mother away from them. Can you believe this bitch? This is a professional. This is an elected representative. This, this is new normal. This is new normal. You're seeing this all over the place. This is not normal. This should not be tolerated. We should not live in a society where Katie Porter and all the Katie's Porter, if you will, feel comfortable to do this. This should not exist. 
That is the world that I'm trying to drag everybody along back to. That's why I say to people, speak up, say no, express indignation and appropriate anger. Draw your boundaries. It's it's just, it's absolute nonsense. I'm not even going to share with you. There was more from this, uh, the political associates of Katie Porter, more apologizing from people. We're going to leave that alone. And we have to take a break. See you on the other side. We'll pick up the funny. Can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. All right, are you ready for Kerosene 101? One of my hobbies is collecting and running and doing light repair and refurbishment on kerosene lights. I've shown them off a little bit in the Discord. Uh, People seem to be very interested in this, so I hope you will be too. I want to give you a little bit of theory. This is Kerosene Lighting 101. If you are interested in this, if you are thinking about the, maybe you want a kerosene lamp of your own, this would be a good time for you to get a notebook and just jot a couple things down. It's not complicated, but I'm going to give you a couple of basics that will stand you in good stead. We're going to take you through a couple of different segments, but in this one, I'm going to introduce to you basic flat wick American oil lamps. The simplest, these are the ones that you think of when you hear the term oil lamp, you are thinking of this kind of lamp. This one happens to be 70s amber. It's ashtray colored, (laughs) which I've never seen before. Uh, But this is an American flat wick lamp. What do I mean by flat wick? I mean this. The wick is simply flat. You see, it's about an inch wide. Uh, We'll move into some lamps that have circular wicks and all sorts of carburation that gives them a good draft and all that. But these are your basics. These are the ones that you see. These are workhorse lamps. Every single American household had one, Canadian households too, not one, but many of them. If you want a dependable, simple, will never go wrong oil lamp, what you want is a flat wick oil lamp. These were, everybody had half a dozen of these. Richer households had some that I'm going to show you later. Um, These are very practical. They're very simple. Nothing ever goes wrong with them, except sometimes you break a chimney and sometimes you need to replace the wick. First, though, a little bit of theory. With any kerosene lamp, here's what, I, here's what I want to do. I want you to stop thinking in terms of oil lamps. Think kerosene lamps. No, I'm not just doing it to be pedantic, although I am pedantic about these things. There's a purpose. The purpose is modern people do not use the correct fuel in these lamps. These lamps, kerosene lamps, want kerosene. That is all that they want. They're actually coal oil lamps. That's where the first kind of kerosene distillate came from. They burn on coal oil or what we now have is kerosene. You do not want anything called lamp oil. No. The answer to your question about whether I can burn this in this lamp is no to anything but kerosene. Okay? No specialized questions because the answer is no. What you want is called K1 kerosene k1 sometimes 
styled 1K. Exactly the same thing. It's clear kerosene. Why do I say clear? Because some places that actually have kerosene at a pump, like at a gas station, will sell you kerosene more cheaply than you can get at the hardware store, but it's dyed pink. And this is for tax reasons and is a U.S. government nonsense. It clogs wicks. It, it's dim. It's smoky. You don't want it. Clear K1 kerosene. Get it at any hardware store. Lowe's, Home Depot, True Value, Ace. Uh, Walmart often has it. So clear K1, uh, K1 kerosene. And you'll just... Fill it up. We just have a little bit in here to show you. Turn your wick up until you can see it. Get yourself a lighter. I don't know quite how this flame is going to read on camera because we've got studio lights in here. So you won't see you won't see an accurate representation of the amount of light that the lamp throws. Because of that, it's just very hard to do photographically. But just get it going and get your chimney on it. And notice what happens when you put the chimney on. The flame whitens and brightens. <laughs> it's like OxyClean. That's all there is to it. Simple, flat wick American kerosene lamp. When we do the next segment, we're going to talk about my favorite, which is center draft lamps. Join us for it. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more. And all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com, or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. <laughs> you may have noticed a couple of months ago, or maybe not. I didn't notice until somebody pointed it out because I don't watch Dr. Phil. <laughs> but Matt Walsh, conservative commentator Matt Walsh, who I really like. Even if I don't agree on 100% of all the things he says, and some of them are really problematic. There, is that enough not alls for you? All right. Conservative commentator Matt Walsh went on the Dr. Phil show to be the lone dissenter against a panel of people who were arguing for transgenderism, transgender liberation, non-binary, it's all real, and anybody who doesn't like it is discriminatory, and if you say you're a woman, you're a woman, and he was the only one talking sense. So, of course, he triggered the panel, triggered the audience of largely liberal women, of course. And this guy... I know you can't see it in this little piece of paper. And if you're listening, you can't see it at all. And if you're blind, you can't see it at all either. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're lucky I don't start in on the Helen Keller jokes, okay? Um, this this dude here, this bearded dude, he, well, he looks like a circus bearded lady. He was on that show, and he was he's one of those, he's one of these. I'm smoothing my hair. That's how you be a woman these days. You just you play with your hair a lot like this. And he's just going on about how, like, I don't know, you can't understand. I mean, a woman isn't, you know, I mean, I'm qualified to tell you what my gender identity is. And you're really oppressive. And Matt Walsh is like, no, no, you're not a woman. You're a dude. So because mental illness and character disorders 
are resume builders in the 21st century. That guy has a modeling contract with Amber Crombie and Fitch. Amber Crombie and Fitch. Is it Amber Crombie? Amber Crombie. Sorry about that. I mispronounced it. You guys, I remember 20 years ago walking through malls and Amber Crombie and Fitch was that place with all the clothes that looked exactly like at the Gap. It, it was basically white people on Cape Cod clothes. And it was all homoerotic because all of their pictures were like these these beautiful, pretty, muscly young men in various states of dishabillé, you know, with their shirts coming off and like reaching for a volleyball. I mean, it was just totally gay porn, right? Now, look at this. They got a guy in a beard with eyeshadow on and fake tits or the suggestion of fake tits being a woman, excuse me, a non-binary, excuse me, a non-binary woman, whatever, next to a woman, an actual woman who thinks she's a man. Oh, wait, wait. But she wants you to call her, what does it say here? He, they, he, they. Okay. I can see you're a woman, honey. And, uh, and I can see you're a man. So we're playing opposite day here. Take a look at the pictures of this ad. You've got dude guy in his beard being a lady wearing a bra piece like a bikini thing up like this showing off his high pats but also being this beautiful woman you can imagine his hair going slow motion you know gee it smells terrific and then they show you some of the products that you are supposed to be enticed to buy and one of them is this <laughs> this one piece knit delight in what appear to be recycling bin colors um, they don't tell you what it is, but I can tell you what it is. This, my friends, is called a lunatard. You're welcome. All right. One more. This is kind of, it's funny, but it's dark because this is disaffected. Then we're going to break again, and then we're going to come back to story time. You really want to be here for story time. You recall that we on Disaffected, along with our friend Christopher Aaron Felker in Burlington, and the LGB Alliance, this was their their baby. They put on a protest at the Pride Parade in Burlington, Vermont earlier this year because it, well, the LGBT BPD community um, is ruining children's health and advocating for sterilization, mutilation of children. They put on a protest, and you'll recall that one of the original 1969 veterans of the Stonewall Gay Bar riots that began the modern gay liberation movement, one of the veterans, Fred Sargent, who's now a 74-year-old man, um, was assaulted at the Pride Parade. Um by the LGBTQ community, a 74-year-old man with a cane. So then Outright Vermont, which is an advocacy organization, put on a fundraiser, um, and that was actually the protest. We live-streamed this. And we, those who protested this, were, of course, as you saw in video, roundly mocked. Uh, We were called bigots. We were called transphobes. They followed us around physically, bodily, followed us around two blocks trying to block our signs, uh, all sorts of stuff. Well, the organization behind this fundraiser is called Outright Vermont, and I want you to know what they would like children to do. So here is an invitation from them put out on social media. LGBTQ youth ages 13 to 19 
we want to hear from you. Tell us your queer dreams, and we'll try to make them come true. With a link to Google Docs. Youth ages 13 to 19? 13 to 19, huh? Yeah, just youth. It's the same. Age is just a number. Love is love. Tell us your queer dreams, and we'll try to make them come true. Here's a link to Google Docs. What the hell do you think this is? What do you think this is? Yeah, that's right. They're asking for the sexual fantasies of these children, and they intend to respond to them. Oh, how could you say that? You're the abuser. Your dirty mind is going there. I'm not going to say that word. I'm trying not to say that word as much. This is grooming. This is pedophilia. This is child abuse. Time for another break. Enjoy the kerosene lamp instructional that you'll get in between and come back for story hour. Can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. All right, now we're going to do my favorite. It's not the last one in the kerosene lineup, but it is my favorite. I'm going to introduce you to center draft lamps. But first, I need to pick up on something that I didn't fully explain in the last segment. I told you that these lamps want kerosene, but I didn't tell you why that was so important. People have a lot of misconceptions about kerosene lamps. You have them. Most of you have them. Think about any period piece that you've ever seen, a movie that is set in 1860, 1870. Notice with all the oil lamps and the kerosene lamps that all their chimneys are black. That's not real. That was never real. That never happened. This is a modern misunderstanding. The reason why these uh, chimneys are all blacked up is because modern people don't understand how these things run, and they turn the flame up so high that it starts producing black smoke and soot. That's wrong. No Victorian ever did that. You would never have walked into anyone's saloon or anyone's parlor and seen a blacked up chimney. So that's not real, and that won't happen to you unless you turn it up too high. Don't use so-called lamp oil and other substitutes for kerosene because, number one, it burns only 50% as bright as kerosene. That makes a big difference. Number two, it's full of impurities, and that makes it smoke and produce too much soot. Um, It also gives off an odor. We're going to get to odor, too, because I know that you think that kerosene stinks. I'm going to tell you how to how to fix that. Number three, lamp oil, non-kerosene fuels, gum up the wick. The wick is cotton weave, and it has to have capillary action. You're not actually burning the wick. You're burning kerosene vapor that comes off the top. Lamp oil gums it up, slows it down, and will ruin a wick. So the most common things that people have said to me when I tell them that my hobby is kerosene lamps and that I do literally heat and light my house for the most part during the winter with these kerosene lamps. They think, oh my God, it stinks and it's all sooty. No, that's not true. It, I, I swear to God, it's not true. Yes, if you use an actual kerosene heater, a big full-sized room heater, you will get some kerosene odor. But a properly run lamp 
that is set at the right flame level will not give you odor. You will smell a little bit when you light it. You'll smell a little bit when you blow it out. But your house will not stink of kerosene. People walk into my house in the winter and they're like, wait, wait, how's that running? It's running on kerosene. But uh, it's not stinky. I know. Buy your kerosene. So let's talk about center draft lamps. This is my favorite. This is Lady Rochester. I, I do name my lamps. <laughs> Let me show you why. She is Lady Rochester. We'll take the shade off here. Uh, Rochester uh, was a brand and a type of center draft lamp. Um, very dependable, very reliable. These are a step up from your flat wick lamps. Why are they a step up? They put out a lot more light and a lot more heat. This lamp here, in a small to medium-sized room in the winter, will heat and light your room with no other external heat source. Yes. In fact, and you'll see this with the next segment too, these are hot enough that if you rig up a trivet, you can actually cook over the top of this. So you want, are you a prepper type? You want a center draft kerosene lamp. Why are they called center draft? Let me take the chimney off. Uh, terminology, by the way. This is a chimney, not a, quote, globe. No such thing. Chimney. This is not a globe. This is a shade. Okay? Glass shade. Center draft lamps are called center draft because they have a central tube. This is a round wick that is much larger in surface area than that little flat wick we showed you. And down here at the bottom, I don't know if you'll be able to see this, but you see these decorative cutouts. This is for draft. It's for carburation. The air comes in down here, flame heats it up, sucks it up through the center uh, tube and feeds the flame, which contributes to the flames burning clean, meaning no soot, no odor, and also being bright and white. And this is called a flame spreader. It, it's exactly what it sounds like. It spreads, it, spreads, it spreads the flame. Think of it like that little iron disc on your gas kitchen range that you stick on top of the burner. That's a flame spreader. So is this. These lamps must have the proper flame spreader to operate correctly. So on this lamp, your wick is raised and lowered by this lever here or this, um, I don't know, it's more like a plunger. Let's light it up. And again, you won't be able to see accurately photographically how much light this sends off into the room, but this is well enough light to read and work by. Um, this is well enough light to set in the middle of a table. You can have everybody around it, everybody doing their homework and stuff like that. It's, I don't know, Kevin's behind the camera. You don't know that. What would you say with this one, Kevin? I would say this puts out between 40 and 50 watt incandescent equivalent. So it's not, it's no slouch. We'll light it up. The chimney back on. Let it come around. So notice that it's a round flame. Now, the key with these, this is uh, good advice for all lamps, but especially with the center draft lamps and the Aladdins that we're going to show you later. St um, remember, low and slow. Start your lamps off at a low flame and let them heat up. As everything heats up, the flame is going to grow it's going to get whiter, and it's going to settle into the correct shape. The chimney on a center draft lamp has to be the right chimney. They're readily available. Reproductions are made all the time. Flatwick lamps, 
you can get away with almost any chimney. You cannot do that with these. They have to have the right shape. They have to have the right height because it's 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 a matter of carburation. The draft has to be proper. Um, so you're seeing this. This is nowhere near at full flame, um, but we don't have time for that. And you don't have to run a shade on it, but these glass shades on the tripods are absolutely lovely. I didn't think I was going to like this shade when I got this lamp because the color isn't my favorite. But what I figured out is the color of the light that it puts out in the room is really lovely. Uh, so it's become one of my favorites. This is called a student shade. What does that mean? It means that it's coated so that the majority of light is reflected from the white interior and sent downward. So these were called student lamps. Because students would get them at college. If you had a roommate, you wanted a lamp that wasn't going to light up the whole room. You wanted it to direct the light downward. And they did that through the manufacturer of the shade. So this is a student shade. This one lets um, quite a bit of light through this way, too. But I have another one in a very dark green color. It's about the color of my sweater uh, that lets very little light through. It, it, it gives a nice soft glow green, but most of the light comes down there. Um, so that's your center draft lamp. Other... Uh, manufacturers a Miller lamp, a B&H center draft lamp, a Plume and Atwood center draft lamp. These things are workhorses, and this one is my favorite because it puts out a lot of light and a lot of heat, and nothing ever goes wrong with it. It lights every single time. It never has a problem. It is completely dependable. You would be very happy to have one of these, and they're very practical. So when we go to the final segment, we're going to show you the magic of the Aladdin lamp. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more. And all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com, or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Welcome back to Storytime. So people have asked me if I've always been this way. <laughs> You've always been so weird? Yeah. Um, back when I was a little kid, you, you've heard a lot of, you've heard a lot of my trauma, right? You've heard a lot of the child abuse stories, but there were also fun times too. Um, most of them took place outside of my mother's ear and eye shot. But I'll tell you something. Growing up in the eighties was glorious. It was, it was wonderful. It was a wonderful time to be an adolescent. The world, and maybe maybe every kid at that age feels this way, you know. Maybe my mother felt this way in the 50s and 60s. But it felt like the world was unfolding just for me and my friends. That there was this great, big, exciting, bright, flashing, glamorous world of music and cities and culture that was just waiting for us, that was inviting us to come in. It felt fantastic. And I turned 16 in 1990. Um, we'll get to that. Um, the voices that I do on this show, 
I've been a mimic for a long time. As a kid, before middle school, I was very shy and scared. Um, and I didn't know how to defend myself. I didn't know how to have a fight. I ran away from fights with boys. Then in seventh grade, I discovered that I was funny. Or I discovered that other people consistently found me funny. I could crack up an entire classroom with a one-liner, including the teacher. And it made my social fortune. It, it turned my life around in a really significant way. It was something I had that I didn't have before. I didn't have sports talent. I had academic talent. But of course, I got picked on for being a nerd. But I was funny. And I like to have fun. And I like to be funny. And I like being funny for you guys because I like it when you laugh at my jokes. But what I like more is I like to make people laugh with me. I want to have a good time with you. I don't want to just perform it in front of you. I want you to be there with me. I started becoming a mimic at about 11 years old. I would listen to old Lily Tomlin recordings of Ernestine, the telephone operator, um, and mimic the voice. Um, my best friend at that time, his name was Tom Edwards. We were a couple of misfits. And we used to listen to the Dr. Ruth radio show, Dr. Ruth, the sex doctor. Some of the younger people will not know who she is, but she's this teeny tiny Jewish German woman. Um, and we would reenact doc. She had a call in show, right? People would call in with their sex problems. Did she give them sex advice? So we would recreate her show. I would be Dr. Ruth and Tom would be the guy calling in and we'd record it on a cassette recorder. And it would be, you know, I would say, Welcome to Sexually Speaking. This is Dr. Ruth. How can I help you? And Tom would be the guy calling in, and his name was always Mr. Boffenbecker. <laughs> and he always had penis problems. So we would do these shows and then cut the tape up with scotch tape and stuff like that. Then I started pranking radio stations. Um, or was it the old woman I, women I pranked first? Well, anyway, I decided to be Ernestine, the telephone operator. And so I would open up the phone book, the actual phone book, and just find people's names and go bring 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 i should have brought my prop telephone old lady would answer hello mm, yes a crisp business like good afternoon have i reached the party to whom i am speaking and we'd go on like this and i would tell i would tell this lady that i was from new york telephone and that she had a balance of $24.65 when may we expect payment please it was really bad behavior because these ladies would get out their checkbooks and I could hear them start writing, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to pay the bill. And I'm sitting here on the, well, what I am is I'm on that phone from the kitchen, the rotary dial phone, the yellow one with the super long cord. And I pulled that cord into the cellar staircase so that I could do this and my mother couldn't hear me. <coughs> when I stopped vexing the old ladies, I started um, it started out trying to win, win radio contest. OK 100, WOKW, Cortland, New York. I was a big top 40 radio fan. Madonna, Michael Jackson, George Michael, wham, the whole thing like that. So I always listened to Casey Kasem and Rick Dees. But I, I always called in because I had requests. Back in those days when you couldn't just put on, you know, any track from Spotify if you didn't have the record, you hoped to hear it on the radio, but sometimes they'd just take requests. So I'd call up and make requests. And I got to know the DJs and they kind of liked me and they played my songs. Um, so I would call in 
sometimes as Ernestine, the telephone operator, uh, which they cottoned onto and they thought was funny. But then I, I, I came on as the church lady. And if you don't remember, this was a skit from the 1980s. The church lady was a character by Dana Carvey, who was a Saturday Night Live cast member. It's prim old church lady um, who would um, get her guests on and needle them and try to find out what their sins were. And when they do something wrong, she'd say, Hmm, I wonder what caused you to do that. Could it be Satan? So this was my first sort of little drag thing. When I was 12 years old, my mother went on vacation to California and she hired a babysitter to look after us three kids for a week. And I was a bad, bad boy. I went to the thrift store with my paper route money and I bought a nylon 1960s grandma shift. I bought a curly wig. I bought um, horn rimmed glasses. I dressed up as the church lady and I stood on the porch of our house and I harangued passersby. People would just walk down the street and I'd ask them if their bulbous regions were engorged in tingling, uh, whether they could feel uh, the fingers of Satan in their naughty bits that weren't discussable in public. And I would just basically shake a broom at them. And people walking up and down the street were at first shocked and then they just fell over dying of laughter. <laughs> I had so much fun. Well, all good things had to come to an end. Uh, as this segment is about to wrap up too, my mother came home. I'm in the bathroom and my mother has just gotten home. Everything's fine. She's in a good mood because she was on vacation. And I hear, oh my God, who's at the door? Bonnie, Bonnie. It was Mrs. Maniachi, the landlady. The Maniachis lived two doors down from us. We rented their house. Bonnie, I need to talk to you. My mother goes to the door. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, fine. Thank you, Mrs. Maniachi. Joshua Lawrence Slocum. <laughs> I don't remember. I, I know I got grounded and... I did actually deserve to get in trouble for this. This was not a case of my mother being abusive. I was just being a little shitbag. <laughs> I shouldn't have been on the porch doing it. But I'd do it again, and I don't regret it for a single minute. Come back, and I'll tell you another good story, this time from college. Can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. All right, get ready for the magic of the Aladdin lamp. That is a brand name, the Aladdin Company. This is an Aladdin lamp. It, the company was started in 1906. This is the pinnacle of kerosene technology. I love periods of history where one technology is about to supersede another because the old technology has to become as refined and in its highest possible form to compete for as long as possible before it gets displaced by something else. That's what you see in Aladdin. They, they were invented 
really at the end of the kerosene age. The kerosene age is about 1860 to 1900. It was about 1860 when coal oil became um, widely available and, and cheap enough to use. And it was a huge step up from whale oil, which and whale oil itself was a huge step up from tallow candles, pig fat, uh, or not, not pig fat, beef fat, pig, well, anything actually that they could make smoky and dim and all that stuff. Whale oil was better. And then kerosene was the Holy Grail, clean burning, much brighter. The Aladdin, let me tell you about the technology here. So it's kerosene lamp, but it does not work. The flame doesn't directly give you the light. If you've seen a Coleman camping lantern, the hissing Coleman lanterns that have the mantles, the little bags up top, that's the principle that this works on, except it's not pressurized gas, it's kerosene with a wick. So I'm going to show you, I'm going to take the top off here. These are very finely engineered with very tight tolerances. This is a precision machine. And the wonderful thing about this is it was made in the era when British and American manufacturing, this is an American lamp was unparalleled in the world. That is why something as old as this works exactly the same as the day it was taken off the shelf in 1910, okay? So you got your font with your kerosene in it, your burner, and you've got, again, a round wick, but much smaller than the other one, and also a flame spreader. Uh, this is side draft. It comes in on the side rather than, than from underneath. But here's where the magic comes in. set this on here securely before I show you these will put out these put out the equivalent of electric light and it's it's almost daylight balanced I I don't know how it's going to show up here on video but when people see these in person and they see that it's a kerosene burning lamp they're amazed because they think it's an electric bulb and this brought electric level light to rural America and, and all over the world. Even if you didn't have electricity, you could have the same quality of light that everybody else had. So you have to be very careful with these because I want you to notice this mantle, this mesh here is so fragile. It's, it's like a moth's wings. It's like the dust on a moth's wings. You cannot jar it. You cannot touch it. You cannot bump it because it will fall apart. Mantles are running about $15 to $20. They last a few months. So, yeah, it is a little, a little bit more expensive to run. And, yeah, it's a little fussier. You have to fine-tune them a little bit more. But when they're working wonderfully, they are fabulous. So what you do... Actually, I'm not going to take the whole thing apart. There are other videos you can see on YouTube that demonstrate the whole thing. But I'm going to light it up and give you a, give you a sample of what kind of light you can expect from this. This is a Model 11, by the way. Um, they had model, the original model 10, model 11, model 12, model 21, model 23, never buy a model 23 Aladdin burner. They're all cheap shit from Hong Kong. They all leak and they're all terrible. So when you lighten Aladdin, you wait for the entire wick to light. You give it a couple of seconds to bump up a little bit. Then you take this entire assembly. This is this part here is called the gallery. That's the mantle, and the chimney is mounted in the gallery. This is one piece together. They all come apart, but in daily use, this is one functional piece. Very carefully, place it back down and find little divots. 
And well, here's a good example of uh, carburation problems. These lamps are a little bit fussy. So sometimes the best thing to do is to take this off. It's got three different positions that it can be set in. So see which one gives you the best draft and the best flame. That's one. I think that's one. Okay. Again, we don't have time for this, but the Aladdins need low and slow more than anything. The best way, and the way I recommend you do this, light your lamp, turn, keep it low so that the mantle is not glowing. Leave it sit for 15 to 20 minutes because it will naturally, um, all the parts expand a little bit. It'll start to fill up the mantle. If you turn it up too soon, what you'll end up with is spikes of flame that come off the inside here and that start burning black soot onto your mantle. You don't want that. So use patience. But because we don't have time for that, I'm going to turn it up a little just to show you what the mantle does. See that glow coming on. Yeah, I'm sure that it's not even, it's probably reading as pure white to you. Um, but this is incredible. If you ever get a chance to see one of these or better yet buy one, you will be delighted by this. Um, I'm going to leave it sit down there. If we went on for another 15 minutes, the bottom of this mantle is illuminated, but the top would slowly start to illuminate too. And the whole thing would become like an incandescent electric light bulb. And of course, this doesn't have one, but with an Aladdin, you definitely want a tripod and a shade to put on it because the glare is so bright, you don't want to look at it constantly, although it is actually fascinating to look at. And if you're curious, yes, the Aladdin company is still in existence. It's It's gone through many owners, but... They still produce these. You may buy a brand new Aladdin lamp. Yes. Uh, they, they produce the mantles. They produce the chimneys. They produce the wicks. They produce the flame spreaders. And almost all Aladdins are backwards compatible. So this chimney has got, um, is done in the style of the original with the original style script. But this is a modern chimney on a 1910 lamp. That's how backward compatible they are. So there's no problem getting parts for these. Um, they're fabulous and actually a must if you've got a rural cabin or any place where electricity goes out, you want one of these. And like I told you about the center draft Rochester lamp, these put out so much heat. Aladdin used to make their own trivet. They had a cast iron trivet that you would set this lamp under and you can do cooking over it. So, And you still can do that. If you can get this underneath something, you can boil a pot of water with this baby. Uh, so, yeah, you see the mantle's coming up a little bit more. Um, to extinguish these, I didn't show you this on the other one. These, pretty much the same. I advise you, um, if you have the time, turn it down, let it cool a little bit, turn it down a little more. Let the glass accommodate to the change in temperature. The, this is high-quality borosilicate glass, um, so it's, it is heat-resistant. I mean, it's basically Pyrex technology, but you still want to treat it gently. But we haven't had it burning that long, so I've got it turned down. All you do to extinguish these lamps is just take your hand and cup it and blow across the top. 
that's it. Enjoy. Welcome back. This require this is meta, okay? I'm going to do an impression of someone else doing an impression of someone else. And it's going to be a little bit difficult because my voice is not in great shape today. But this is one of my absolute favorite stories from college. And some of you will recognize the people I'm talking about. Now, you know, from watching this show, that I, like many homosexuals of a certain age, have a thing for bitch women like Joan Crawford and Betty Davis and Madonna and all those gay icons. Well, do you know how much of a thing I had for these women? People have asked me for proof that I was ever a drag queen. And people have said, drag is so terrible. Drag is woman. Drag is this disgusting, sexified, blah, 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 blah. I understand. I hate the current drag. I hate what they're doing to children. I find it all offensive and disgusting and vulgar. But my friends, it didn't actually used to be this way. Female impersonation is what it used to be called back in the mid 20th century. And it was an art form. It was a performance art form. These men would do bits where they would impersonate Judy Garland, Liza Minnelli, Edith Piaf, and they do it well. The point was to actually look and sound like them. Some of them had Vegas residencies. People, straight people, your parents, your grandparents would pay good money to see these guys, right? That was my kind of drag. I wanted to be the 40s femme fatale. I wanted to be Joan Crawford. So I was. This is me. I think 23 or 24 years old doing a photo shoot as Joan Crawford in my favorite period, which is the Mildred Pierce uh, period. Peplums, shoulder pads, ankle strap pumps, mink wraps, and of course, the eyebrows. So there you have it. It really was me. Now, that brings me into my absolute favorite college story. Quentin Crisp. For those of you who don't know who Quentin Crisp was, he was a famous Englishman who moved to the United States. He wrote a book called The Naked Civil Servant. He was very fey. He was a homosexual. He wore his hair up in a twist. He put a little bit of rouge on. He was an old school queen gentleman. This is him. Kevin will show you some of these pictures. This is him um, at college one night, and I'll tell you how he got there. I got a call from my advisor. At Sarah Lawrence, you had, as an undergrad, you had advisors. We called them Don, Dons, like at Oxford College, because Sarah Lawrence is the American sister school to Oxford in England. My Don, Mary, called me and said, we're having dinner at the president's house, and we're having a special guest, and I'd like to know if you'd like to come. And I said, sounds good. Who is it? And she said, it's Quentin Crisp. And I said, yes, 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 I want to. She goes, well, he also needs to be picked up at the train station. He doesn't have his own car. I said, okay, girl, I got you, <laughs> right? So I get into my 1991 Geo Metro, which was held together with rust and duct tape, and drove down to the Bronxville train station to pick up Mr. Crisp. And he gets off the Metro, um, dressed just like this. He's got his hair all waved, but he's got his little cowboy hat. He comes off there. He's walking over, and I can't believe, you guys, I can't believe this. Um, his book, The Naked Civil Servant, was uh, turned into um, a big motion picture in the 1980s starring William Hurt, if I remember correctly, as Quentin Crisp. 
the police song, I'm an alien, I'm a legal alien, I'm an Englishman in New York, is about Quentin Crisp. And if you recall the 1994 art film Orlando, Quentin Crisp was the old man who played Queen Elizabeth and did it beautifully. So there he is coming over. I said, hi, Mr. Crisp, I'm Josh. Oh, very kind of you to pick me up. I'm going to do a terrible old school English accent. I'm not claiming that it's good, Okay. But I can't believe this. He gets in my car, and I apologize because my car is a friggin' mess. There's McDonald's bags everywhere. I'm a college student, right? He goes, hmm, it doesn't bother me. I haven't cleaned in 30 years. If you don't clean sooner or later, the dust stops accumulating. That is how he talked. So we went to dinner at the president's house, and it's about eight of us around this table in this lovely president's mansion, right? And I'm sitting next to Quentin Crisp. And... Would you like more Mr. Chicken, Mr. Crisp? Oh, yes. Very good. Would you like more salad, Mr. Crisp? Oh, yes. He's giving us, he's giving us, he's serving realness to us. We're getting ready because he's going to give an, um, a talk in the auditorium. But I knew that he used to be a reporter and did Hollywood stuff. So I decided to take a chance. And I said, Mr. Crisp, will you please tell us about the time you covered the Oscars and Joan Crawford showed up? And he did. So I'm going to do Quentin Crisp doing an impression of Joan Crawford arriving at the Oscars in 1951. So I was waiting for the celebrities to arrive and this enormous black Cadillac limousine pulled up a block long. The chauffeur opened the door and out stepped Miss Crawford. He pauses and then he goes. She was radioactive with confidence in herself. And did the Joan Crawford eyes. And I'm sitting here dying. This is this is gay heaven. And then another limousine pulled up behind her and out stepped Miss Christina Crawford and Master Christopher Crawford. Miss Crawford turned and surveyed the scene, looking at her children like she had never seen them before in her life. <laughs> and that, my friends, was one of the best nights of my entire life. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I hope you've enjoyed story time. And I hope you've enjoyed the fact that we are on episode 100. Thank you for coming with us. We're going to do new things with this show. We appreciate your support. As a reminder, if you want to read about how I got canceled from my job and all the things that are happening at Disaffected, check out my piece on Colin Wright's Substack. His place is called Reality's Last Stand and look for it um, and give it a like. Thank you, everybody. Happy New Year. <laughs>